Well, good morning, church. How are you? Man, it is good to see everybody here today. Glad that you're here to worship with us. Hey, as those baskets are being picked up, uh, before we jump into the sermon for today, I want to let you know about something that's happening next month uh, called Give United. Uh, now, this is something that we have been doing for a few years now. And so if you're a longtime member, you're aware of this. But if you're new, I uh, wanted to go ahead and get, your, uh, get you kind of prepped for it because we do need your help. Uh, if you're here, you already know this. But uh, as a church, we have made a commitment to give 10% of our budget out the door. Whatever our budget is, 10% of that then goes outside of this place that's for uh, missions opportunities internationally, nationally, locally. We want to make sure we give at least 10% or more uh, of what we bring in out the door. But as we've gone through the years, we've actually looked for ways to expand that. We want to say, are there more ways we can give? Are there more ways we can be serving our community? Uh, And so a few years ago, we started something called Give United to help us in that process. Um, Every month we help a certain number of local ministries that we partner with, but we recognize that every year there's new organizations that come online or maybe organizations that we're not yet partnered with. And we wanted to be educated. We wanted to partner with our brothers and sisters all around the city doing incredible work to to, to help the poor, help those uh, dealing, like trying to escape sex trafficking, but it may be uh, widow care. It might be uh, just all kinds of different support. I mean, how do we get involved And so every September, we do something interesting, uh, and we're going to do it again this year. I'm going to challenge all of us during the month of September to give a full tithe. Some of us are doing that already, but I'm going to challenge everybody to say, hey, I want to bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Members, attenders, whoever you are, jump on board, try this, and we're going to see something cool. In the month of September, as we're doing that, as soon as we hit our monthly budget for that month, every dollar above that budget, we're going to pour out into the city. We're going to pour out into every, all kinds of, uh, of different local organizations to help them in what they're doing. And so we're going to have those organizations uh, give us applications, uh, upwards of a $5,000 grant that we would then give to them. Uh, last year, we brought in close to $90,000 over our budget in one month that we then poured out into the community. Since inception, we are just shy of a million dollars in addition to what we normally do, poured out into local area ministries right here in our area, which is incredible. And so look, we have the opportunity to do that again this year. Uh, But you say, Adam, that's in September. Why are you telling me now? Because we need these groups to sign up. Part of this whole thing is, is we want to partner with folks we're not already partnered with. And you may know of a local organization that needs a grant. You may know of a group that's doing incredible work, uh, just spreading the gospel or loving people in Jesus' name. I need you to go tell them, hey, go to my church's website, doubleoakcc.org slash giveunited, and you can fill out an application. And listen, as long as you are faith-based and you are based here in Birmingham in some way, shape, or form, listen, there's a really good chance we're going to approve that application so that we can then shower people with gifts all over the city. So please, talk to all of the folks that you know. Tell them to go and apply the dead line for that is September the 8th. Uh, and then all through September, we're going to be doing a lot more uh, fun things along with Give United. You're going to love it, but get prepared for that. I cannot wait to see what we get to do in the month of September. But now grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Hopefully you've got a copy of God's word with you. If not, maybe a device that you can look on. If you have neither of those, you can probably look on with the person next to you. They will not mind. Make a friend. It'll be fine. Uh, we want you to have a copy of God's word that you can begin to get familiar with and enjoy. Hopefully you're reading throughout the week. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 uh, is where we're going to be in just a minute. Uh, 
while you guys are turning there, let me ask you a question. I wonder if you've ever been to an event that offered door prizes before. Ever been to an event like that, yeah? Uh, if not door prizes, maybe like a raffle, right? Where you show an event and part of the re- thing to get you there is like, hey, if you come, we're gonna give away some door prizes. Just for being here, there's a possibility for you to win a prize. Or maybe it's a raffle, you buy tickets. If you buy a certain number of tickets, hey, you have the opportunity to win this prize. Uh, But a lot of times when organizations do this, they're doing it for a reason. They say, hey, we want people to stay engaged for the whole event. We want you to stay until the end. And most of them will add this little asterisk at the back end where in addition to saying, hey, you could win a prize, they will say this, hey, you must be present to win. Remember that? It's it's just this little tag at the end. Hey, you got to be present to win. Now, why do they do that? Well, it's simple. They're not just there to give out prizes, right? They're not just there to give away stuff. They said, we want you present. We want you engaged. And so we're going to incentivize you to stay until the end. If you want to win, you must be present to win. Now, whenever I hear that phrase, a calculation begins to go off in my brain. And I imagine it does for you too, right? Because you might be getting towards the end of the event. You could go, but you're trying to think to yourself, should I stick around for the door prizes or not? And you kind of have to figure that out. Here's my calculation. The first office is how much is my time worth? Right? How bad do I want to go home? How much is my time worth? Second thing I think about is how much is the prize worth? Is this a prize worth sticking around for? Right? Is it a big prize? Is it a small prize? And then thirdly, what are my actual chances of winning? Right? And you've got to put all of those together in your brain, and that's going to determine whether you stick around just to get involved or whether you go home early. Because that calculation can change. I mean, look, if the prize isn't all that great of a prize, you might have a good chance of winning. It's just not worth sticking around for. Right? Like, we've got a 20-year-old car. You can win. I don't want one, right? That sounds like a hassle. I don't want that. I am leaving, right? That's just, it's not a prize that I want. Or it might be a prize you want, but the odds are so stacked against you, you're probably not gonna win. You'd love to have that prize. There's a million people here. That's the Powerball, right? There's so many people. There, there's no chance I'm really gonna win, so I might just go home. And so for many of us, we don't stick around for the door prizes. We leave early because we weren't present to win. Now, I hate to dash your host, but we're not giving out door prizes today. We're not, okay? I'm sorry. That's not what we do here, okay? You don't get a door prize when you come to church. All right, so, uh, but what if I could offer you something better? What if the God of the universe offered you a prize so magnificent you could not help but say, I gotta be present for that? I got to see, I got to be present with that. And on top of that, not only was it an opportunity for you to experience that, he guarantees you can have it. You are a guaranteed winner if you stick around to be a part of what God is doing. He says, I want to give you more than you can possibly imagine. That is absolutely on the table today. And as we start a new season here with school starting and promotion Sunday, we want to go back to our core values and show you what the Lord is offering to us which is why we find ourselves at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Now, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is a banner passage for us here at Double Oak. If you're a longtime member, I imagine that this is an underlined and dog-eared passage in your Bible as it is in mine. We look at it a lot. Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. He's encouraged them to be unified. But then he kind of tells them where we're going, what, what the purpose of this church is. Look what he says, starting in verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I look here in the middle of the passage and notice what he says in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, uh, and to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look, don't run, but run past that. Listen to what he says. You can, you, can, you can attain not simply unity, but the knowledge of the Son of God. You might say, Adam, I already got that. I, I know Jesus. I'm a Christian. That, that's not what he means there. He's not talking about simply awareness of the Lord. He's talking about an experience of the Lord. That word knowledge means to truly know, to experience, to love. He says, I want to give you a rich knowledge of the Lord. And then he goes farther. He says, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now look, that sounds hyperbolic, doesn't it? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But listen to what he's saying here. Don't run past that. Don't just skip past it or assume he's just being hyperbolic like some pastor. He says, no, here's what's on offer, that you could experience the very fullness of God himself. You could be filled with the Spirit, filled with Jesus Christ. He says it in other places in Ephesians as well, that you could be filled with this very fullness of God. It would be so grand that you wouldn't understand the, the height, the length, the brink, the depth, the, the, that you couldn't get your mind around how massive it is. This is what Jesus Christ is offering to you and to us as a people. This is on offer. Can you imagine what it would be like for all of us together to experience that? Please know that that's not a pipe dream. That's not a door prize. That's not for one out of every million. He says, no, that, that's absolutely on offer. And if you will follow after me, I will give it to you. In Philippians 1.6, he says, I will carry on into completion the work that I started in you. I actually will not rest until my people experience me in this way. It's not simply a desire, it's a promise. He says, I will bring this to fruition in your life. This is what he wants from us. And if you and I jump in and follow after him, that's exactly what he'll give us. But that begs a very important question. Okay, Adam, if that's actually true, then how come we don't see that all the time? I mean, look, Adam, I've been in this church a while and I've seen some glimmers of that, but I don't even see that here all the time. Furthermore, Adam, if that's really true and that's God's desire for his church, how come all churches don't have this? How come everybody doesn't experience this? If this is God's desire, then why don't we see that? Well, there's reasons for that. Even though this is God's desire, guys, there is a war that you and I have to fight. This is not just going to be handed to us. We find ourselves in the midst of a battle, and there are three enemies that will stand in the way of us being able to experience that. And these are things that you probably already know, but we need to be constantly reminded of. Those three enemies are the world, Satan, and our own flesh. These are three enemies that every Christian is going to face. We're going to face the world, Satan, and our own flesh. This is Christianity 101, but you can't get past it. We have a tendency to forget these things. 
And if you are forgetful, then these three enemies will steal away our opportunity to actually truly experience this. Let's look at those in turn. First off, there is the world. Look at verse 14 there for a second. Look what he says. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning. Did you catch that? By human cunning. One of the things that will draw us away from the Lord and keep us from this fullness is the world. Now, that word world in the Bible has a very distinct meaning. It doesn't simply mean the planet that we live on. It means the human system of values and ideas that has set itself against the Lord and his kingdom. That's the world. The world is the human system of values and ideas that sets itself against the Lord and his kingdom. This world has values and ideas that are diametrically opposed to the kingdom of God. Amen. That's the world we live in. When you and I leave this room and we go out in the world and you turn on your phones, you turn on the television, you go to your workplaces and your your corporations, you are going to find a system of values that do not align to the kingdom of God. They are not going to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. They say, no, I want my kingdom to come, my will to be done. We have different ideas than the ideas of the kingdom. And guys, if you're not aware of that, we will just drink them in. You can't help it. It's the air we breathe. It's the world we were born into. It's the the, the people we hang out with 24-7. And if you're not careful, you will begin to take in the values of the world. You begin to take in the ideas of uh, of politics, ideas of of people, of celebrities, of uh, of other books or authors or, or whatever else it might be. People whose values and ideas are not dedicated to the Lord and his kingdom will begin to follow the ways of the world. And if you follow the ways of the world, you're not gonna see the fullness of Jesus Christ. So you gotta be aware of the world. Secondly, though, you gotta be aware of Satan. That's our second enemy. You say, well, how do we look at this? Well, look at it again in verse 14. It says, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Well, he's gonna use that same word here just a couple chapters later in Ephesians chapter six, where he really breaks this down and Paul reminds us that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Look at this, Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 and 11. Just a couple chapters forward. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And yes, we believe in the devil. Satan is an actual real entity. And look, he uses these schemes. Same word from chapter four he's gonna use in chapter six. The devil is scheming against us. Now look, don't let that frighten you. Because we need to understand something about Satan. Satan is not the yin to the Lord's yang. This is not good and evil. This is not a a pitched battle between two forces and we don't know who's going to win. No, there's only one sovereign power in the universe and it's the Lord God Almighty. He has already conquered all the powers of sin and darkness. He has dethroned them, defanged them. They no longer have power or authority. The Lord reigns supreme, but Satan is still running around causing trouble. He has been dethroned. He cannot control you. No Christian can ever say the devil made me do it. That is actually impossible as a believer in Jesus Christ. You've been set free from the power of the kingdom of darkness. But you and I are still in the midst of a spiritual battle, are we not? 
Listen, some of you experienced this acutely. You said, I, I, I felt temptations. I've been in situations I cannot explain, but this is a spiritual battle that I find myself in. It's not a battle from the world. This is a spiritual battle that we are in. And that's absolutely the case. Guys, our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is against the forces of darkness in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against human beings. We don't fight against people. We don't fight against groups. We fight against a spiritual enemy that has arrayed itself against Jesus Christ. That's our enemy. And look, if you just think you're beyond that as a 21st century Westerner, as Adam, we just don't believe in silly things like that anymore. You are going to get killed. That is like traipsing through a minefield. I don't believe in mines. Well, the mines believe in you. And you're going, why do I have any legs? Because you went traipsing through a minefield. And if you walk out these doors thinking, I just don't believe in that, Satan loves it when you just refuse to believe in him. There's no such thing as spiritual darkness, no such thing as spiritual forces. He has free reign just to mess with you because you don't even know he's there. You're not even going to look in his direction. He's just got a free field just to mess you up. And look, that absolutely is going to steal us away from the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so there's the world, there's Satan, and then there's our flesh. We have our flesh. This is something we looked at in a series a couple years ago called The Repenters, where we recognize that sadly, sometimes the attacks to us don't come from the outside. Some come from the inside. The attacks that keep us away from Christ aren't always external. Sometimes they're internal. They come from our very selves. And by flesh, I don't simply mean the flesh and blood that we are uh, in, but really just the whole package. Listen, our flesh is sinful. Our flesh is deceitful. And it has desires that will pull us away from Jesus Christ. If you and I are not careful, we're not aware that we live in a flesh that will desire against Jesus Christ, we will plunge ourselves into ruin. Because our flesh is broken. Now again, you don't have to be afraid of that. You have been set free from the power of sin and death as a believer in Jesus Christ. The flesh cannot rule you, but it is very loud, is it not? Our flesh is loud and we feel it, but we have to learn to tell ourselves no. Otherwise, this will ruin you. Because if you and I go out and say, I, like, I see everything on the menu, I want it all. I'm gonna order everything on the menu. I'm gonna eat it all. I love it. It's all delicious. And I feel terrible. Why did I do that? Why I wanted it. It tasted great. Why did I do that? I was on Amazon. I bought everything. I, I liked it all. One click. It's just so easy. I want it all. Bring me the boxes. I want everything. And now I've depleted my bank account. And now I'm bankrupt. Now up to my eyeballs. And debt is terrible, man. I just wanted to say whatever came into my little heart. I was angry. I was upset. And so I just wanted to say everything. And it wrecks every single relationship in your life. You wonder why this is happening? Because we're not checking our flesh. You cannot follow your heart all the time because our heart is deceitful and wicked. Its desires are not okay all the time. And if you follow them, it will destroy you. If you and I don't learn how to tell ourselves no, you will never experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. If you and I don't learn how to tell ourselves no on occasion, you will never experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. 
Instead, you got to do what he says a little bit later in chapter 4. You can look down just a few verses, but, but look what he says in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. He says, we need to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This is the process of sanctification. Even as believers, we're in this constant process of saying, okay, I'm saved, but guess what? I have to put off that old self, this old person, right? I say no to my flesh, and instead, I need to be transformed to become more like the Lord, that I begin to desire what He desires, right? But that's a process, and none of us is done in that process yet. So we have to be aware of the enemy of the flesh because that will, if we're just giving in to the flesh, that is going to keep you from experiencing the fullness of Jesus Christ. But none of that changes the fact that the offer is still on the table. Jesus is offering fullness to you. Not just to a few of us, not just to the best of us, but to anybody who's a believer in Christ, to this entire congregation. He says, no, I'm offering this fullness to you. And the question is, are we going to take him up on it? Are we going to take him up on it. And that we is important, by the way. We need to recognize that this offer is for us, but we are a distinct body. And that's, that's a different experience for some of us. Uh, some of us are longtime Double Oak members. We've been here for a while. I've been here 13 years myself. It's gone through a lot of changes since I've been here. It's been amazing. Some of you have been here a really long time. You and I need to recognize if you're a longtime member, hey, God's about to do something new. It's going to look a little different than what he's done in the past. Do you know why? Because we are a different church today than we were three years ago. We're a completely different church. In fact, almost every church is completely different than we were three years ago. We, you and I, we're all different than we were three years ago. And so we're a new configuration of people. We can't just go back and do what we did before. We can't just live on what we did before. No, God wants to do something new and we have to be open to this new configuration, to new friends in your community groups to new things that he's doing. We, we got to be open to the newness if you want to experience this fullness. I was actually surprised by this. I double-checked it this morning. Uh, but here's, here's what I noticed. I mean, just this morning, I, I finally confirmed this. More people have joined the church this year to date than all of last year combined. We're in August, people. I got five months left. More people have joined the church already this year than all of last year. I got 10 more families in the membership process and that's before the rest of you get on the page, right? <laughs> There's a lot of people joining. That's a lot of folk. That's a lot of new people, which means we're different. And we gotta be open to that. Some of you though, you're the new people. See, Adam, I'm, I'm the new person. And guess what? It's time for some of you to say, hey, I, I wanna be a part of this, but you gotta be a part of this. You, maybe you started coming after the pandemic, but, but you've never joined. You've never really gotten involved. You're kind of here and you would say, this is my church. I've been here for a year or two now, but, but you've never become a member. You've never gotten plugged in. You don't really get connected. Hey, it's time for you to get connected to what God is doing here. Maybe you started coming in January, maybe at Easter. So I've been coming five, six months. It's been great. But guess what? It's time for you to finally like jump in. Like don't just kind of be here, like be here. Like, like, like get involved. Or maybe this is your very first week. Welcome. We're glad you're here. That was a crazy first week. Yes. Welcome. 
You might have been here first few weeks, man. Welcome, we're glad you're here. Listen, don't wait a year. Take your time, but, but don't wait, man, before you say, hey, man, if this is the place God has put in me, I want to get involved. I want to get connected to what God is doing here. Don't miss what God is offering to us. And so if that's what he's offering, then how do we actually do that? What does that look like practically? And that's where we get to our three core values as a congregation. Our three core values are maturity, community, and charity. We put them on the walls as you come in. You're going to see them all over the place. But maturity, community, and charity, and these are three things we all want to grow in. And as we do, this is what help leads us to that fullness. And so first, let's look at the first one. Let's look at maturity. What do we mean about maturity? We want to be Christ-centered in all that we do and to grow in our relationship with him. We want to be Christ-centered in all that we do and to grow in our relationship with him. We need to be more spiritually mature. Look at verse 13, and notice what he says towards the end here. Right? It says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Okay, the implication there is, is that we're not fully mature yet. We need to grow into full maturity. All right? And then look again at the end of verse 15, and notice what it says there. Verse 15, it says, rather, speaking of the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. So here's this challenge for us as a church. We're supposed to grow in our spiritual maturity. No matter where you are in your life in Jesus Christ, we all need to be growing in our spiritual maturity. How are we growing up in him? Because all of us are at a different level. And strangely, that might not actually correspond. That's new. That's interesting. All right, so... <laughs> I haven't noticed that before. Is that what we meant to do? That's crazy. Is anybody up there? I don't know. Look, it happens. On the, that's weird. All right, so we're putting this on the podcast. All right, so I can't wait. They're not going to know what's going on. So like, why are they laughing? All right, so uh, have y'all seen this before? Have y'all seen these little tests on the internet? If you're on the internet any length of time, they will ask you to, add, to do a test, right? To find out which Harry Potter character are, right? I mean, there's all these little tests that you do. Like, oh, take this, four questions, they'll tell you. I, but well, they tell you things, right? I don't know if it actually makes any sense. But they, I, they, I saw one the other day, it was in a game, uh, about your brain age, right? As if your brain has a different age than your body. Like there's your chronological age, right? And that's how many times you've been around the sun, okay? That's just your biological age, right? How many days you've been alive. But they say, hey, your brain age might be different from that, right? You might have the brain of a 30-year-old, you have the brain of a 50-year-old, right? But that might not correspond with the actual chronological age of your life. I saw another group, they talked about your biological age, right? Not chronological, but biological, where they say, hey, your body, based on how you live, might be older or younger than what your chronological age would say, right? So you, you might be 50, but you say, man, you have the body of a 30-year-old or you have the body of an 80-year-old, which that's just offensive. It is, right? Like when you find that out, I mean, when you take the test and you're 50 and they say, well, you're dead. We're sorry, you're dead. We don't even know how you filled out the test. Please call medical personnel immediately. And that's offensive, right? I mean, it is, right? I mean, it's just hard to find that out. But the idea is, is that you might be different than what your chronological age says. And I don't know if to put any stock in any of that, but let's ask an intriguing question. What's your spiritual age? What's your spiritual age? You say, well, Adam, I've been saved 10 years. So? Do you have the faith of an infant? Faith of a teenager? The faith of a seasoned veteran, what's your spiritual age? You may say, Adam, I've been going to church for 40 years. Yeah, you might have plateaued about 30 years ago. 
Well, I was doing good for 20 years. That's great. But did you plateau? Are you continuing to grow? You see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we, we never plateau. There's always room to mature. That's true for me. That's true for you. It's true for all of us. There's always room to mature. There's always room to grow in our spiritual maturity. And we want all of us to be growing in our spiritual maturity. And so we champion that here. We want you growing. So Adam, how do you actually do that? Well, there's a lot of different ways. That starts with your personal devotion. That you're getting to know the Lord. You spend time in the word. That's why I ask you to bring your Bible so you can look at it and, and grow. I hope you're spending time in prayer, getting to know the Lord. I hope you tracked with this last month as we read through the book of Proverbs. We finished it out this week. If you're behind, don't worry about it. Keep going. I ended up day behind myself. I had to catch up. It's okay. Just keep going and then keep reading. To say, I want to know the Lord more. I want to grow in him. I want to abide in him. Like we just sang a few minutes ago. To say, I want to really grow in my experience of the Lord. But then after that, there are things you can do. You can put yourself in places where you can grow spiritually. It starts with what you're doing right now in worship. Listen, this is unique. Do you understand? This is a unique gathering. This is the only time during our weeks where we are going to gather together. And all of us together are going to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. You will not find that anywhere else. You can get a crowd of like-minded people everywhere, but this is the only place we gather once a week, all together as a church, to lift up Jesus Christ. They ain't going to be doing that at Bryant Denny. They ain't doing that at Jordan-Hare. They're going to be lifting up other things, right? It's fun, but they aren't lifting up Jesus Christ. This is the only place you can do that. What happens when we say, I want to be consistent. Man, I want to experience being with God's people, lifting him up in worship. Man, I need that, not just a little bit. I need him. I got to be consistent. We got community groups. We'll talk about that in just a second. We got men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. There's all different kinds of groups that you can be a part of. Double Oak University that we just mentioned, you have an opportunity to show up and say, hey, there's gaps in my discipleship. I want to fill them. I want to grow. I'm going to read a companion book this year so I can grow. I want to talk to other brothers and sisters in Christ so I can grow because I want to grow in my spiritual maturity. What would happen when we say, I, I, I choose to, to dedicate myself, say, God, I don't want to stay where I am. I want to grow in spiritual maturity. The result is you're going to experience him more. P.S., a, a quick word to parents. I'm a parent too. Please understand, parents, you and I have a responsibility to train our children how to know the Lord. If God has given you children, we have a resp God-given responsibility to train our children how to know the Lord. We are going to train them to be humans. We're going to train them to go to school. We're going to train them how to be people, train them how to date, train them how to get a job, train them to go out and do these things. We absolutely must train them to know how to pray, to know how to go to church, to know how to read the Bible, to know how to grow up and be a believer in Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility. I, I got great news for you. You don't have to do that by yourself. We here as a church, we're here to help you. Because as you come to worship, guess what? We have kids worship every single week. We got students, they get uh, taught in our first hour. Man, while you guys are here, second hour. Our preschoolers get taught. Furthermore, we have paid staff members whose whole job it is, is to come alongside you and equip you and help you so that you can help disciple and train your kids. 
You can make a choice to come every single night during Wednesday nights. Why? Because our kids are not just going to do a musical. They're going to be memorizing Bible verses and learning why those Bible verses are important. And they're going to experience the people of God and have a good experience there. You can bring them on Sunday mornings, not just one hour, but to two. Why? So they can get Bible skills, so they can have community, so they can grow up to know who the Lord is with, with, with content that's, that's directed at them. But they can't get here unless you bring them. And not just a little bit, but a lot. Why? Because you've got to be present to win. You can't do that with a once a month. You can't do that sporadically. Hey, you got to be present to win. Will we make a choice to say, I want to be spiritually mature? Second thing, uh, we got to talk about our community. We want to grow in community. What does that mean? We want to be Christ-connected as a real family of faith. Look at verse 13 again, and notice what it says. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. We are meant to do this together. And then down in verse 16, he really explains it out. He says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, this is actually Paul's uh, favorite metaphor for describing a church. He calls us a body. And just like our bodies are made up of hundreds of very different parts, you put them all together and you get this one unified whole Okay, that's the church. But if that's true, that means something. It means that we as individual Christians can't survive on our own. We cannot do this by ourselves. We are not designed by God to be bodies unto ourselves. We actually need the church because each of us is not a body. We are body parts. I'm the pastor of the church. I cannot survive without you. And you can't survive without me. And we can't survive without each other. We all need each other because no one person has all the gifts. We all need to be in this together. You need to be growing in spiritual maturity. It is not possible for a Christian to do this by themselves. Any Christian who says, I can follow the Lord and I don't need the church is a freak show. I'm not being offensive. I'm being biblical. Because here's what he just said. We're body parts. Body parts go in a body. I love my liver. I don't want to see it. I don't even know where it is. It's like, I don't know, somewhere. It's in there. It's doing its thing. I barely know what it does. But if I saw my liver out on the floor, I am running out of here screaming. Because that's a freak show. Body parts are supposed to be out here by themselves. They're supposed to be connected to the rest of the body. Okay, any believer who's trying to do their life all on their own is a freak show. It can't Work, because it's not how we are designed. We are meant to need one another. We need help. And so God gives us help in each other. So how do you build that community? Well, the main way we do that here is through our community groups. We got some other ways as well, but the main way is through our community groups. We want you to actually get to know other people weekly by getting involved in a community group. We've all got all the different types, but we want you to get to know people. To not just come in here and just kind of be in a crowd and fade away. No, no, no. To come in and spend some time and get to know people. You say, Adam, that's uncomfortable. I know it is, but it won't be uncomfortable for long. And if you can push through that, what you end up with is a family of faith that surrounds you. Now, look, I could preach about this for years, and I have over the years. Here's the deal. I don't have time to do that this morning. Let me give you one reason why it's so important for you to be involved in a community group. Look, sometime in the next two years, something bad is probably going to happen in your life. I'm not prophesying over you. Don't get weirded out. I'm just playing the law of averages. There's going to be an accident. 
There'll be a loss. There'll be a job loss. Uh, there'll be a, a problem. There'll be a, a relational issue. Uh, it could be a diagnosis. It could be a sickness. There's going to be something that's going to hit you hard. And when that happens, we as a church want to come and surround you. We want to come and, and help you around you. And when things go bad in your life, I can absolutely get people around you. But if you're not involved in a community group, they're going to be strangers. They'll, be, they'll bring you a meal. They'll check on you. And you won't know a soul. You'll go, I guess these people like me, but I don't know who they are. Wouldn't it be better if when something bad happened in your life, you instantly knew you had a group of people who was going to surround you and help you? who would rush to your aid, who were there before I even knew about it because they care about you. And I found out about a second, they're already at the hospital. They're already taking your food. They're already taking care of you because you know these are the people who love and care for you because you've built up a relationship with them. That is the family of faith. And that's what God offers you. You do not have to do this by yourself. You're not even meant to do it by yourself you can have this kind of community, but you can't wait until the crisis to get it. Because then you're just getting strangers. You gotta start building now. Don't wait for another semester. Start now building that up and let the Lord pour into you. People who can love you, you can love them. You end up with a family of faith. This is what is being offered to you. You get to encourage people, pray for people, help people. And those very same people are gonna encourage you, pray for you, and help you. You need spiritual community. But here's the third thing. Uh, we need to grow in our spiritual charity. We need to grow in our charity. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, look at verse 12 and notice what it says. Actually, let's start at verse 11 and notice what it says. Verse 11 says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. There's another reference to that body. All right, this is interesting. He says we're supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But to help us do that, he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, when you hear that list, you might go, well, isn't it their job to do the ministry? You got apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I thought it's their job to do the ministry. And that's actually not true. The, pro the, the job of prophets, evangelists, uh, shepherds, evangel apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Because you may or may not know this, but if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a minister. Did you know that? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a minister of the gospel. Well, who am I ministering to? Them! Everybody! We are a kingdom of priests. It's always been this way. From Israel straight on through, we are a kingdom of priests to the rest of the world, carrying the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, out to a world that needs us. He sends all of us out to do it. We come here to be equipped. We come here to be encouraged. And then we all go out to do the ministry. Adam, what is that ministry? You can sum it up in one word. It's just this, love. That's what that word charity means. It means love. But it's a specific kind of love. Look at verse 15 and notice what it says there. In 15, it says, rather speaking the truth in love. And then look at the end of uh, chapter ver or verse 16. It says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, there's three different Greek words for love. Uh, the most one we're familiar with is phileo. That's brotherly love. 
When you're just nice to other people, that's brotherly love, brotherly kindness. There's eros, that's erotic love. This is different. This is agape. This is godlike love, sacrificial love, a grace-filled love. This is how God loves us. And he says, I now want you to go love other people with that kind of love. I want you to go love other people with the same love that I have given to you. And this is actually the mark of a Christian church. Jesus will say this, they will know you are Christians by your amazing buildings. That's what he said, right? They will know you are my believers by your incredible giving campaigns, right? Is that, is that what he said? No, you will, they will know you're Christians by your love. When people see us as a congregation, they ought to see us pouring the love of Christ out on each other. That we take care of each other, we sacrifice one another, we help one another. They may not agree with us, but they will not be able to deny, hey man, those people love one another deeply, sacrificially. I don't get it. But those people know what they're doing. They love one another. Here's the other thing to do, man, we share the gospel. We don't just show it, we share the gospel. We speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that needs it. Do you not know there are over 100,000 lost people in Shelby County, Alabama, not the godless Northeast, okay? <laughs> Shelby County, I'm sorry. I mean, that's what you all think, right? <laughs> I can't move there. Look, in our home county, there are 100,000 lost people. There's what, eight, 900 people showed up this morning. 100,000 lost people right in our neighborhoods who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get to be the ones who share it. We get to be the ones who love them, build a relationship, and share with them the love of Jesus Christ. This is what we get to do. This is the opportunity that he gives us for us to love in Jesus' name. And so look, we do that through things like Give United. We do that through all of our service opportunities. We did signing day last week where you can love the people inside this congregation by, by helping with our, our preschool, our, our students, our, our children. You can help out with the tech booth or, or with all the different ministries, greeting, ushering, all the different things that we do as a congregation, both within and without. But especially, we start volunteering, we start helping, we pour out the love of Christ in a world that desperately needs it. This is the true mark of a Christian church. Amen. Now, here's the, here's the cool thing. Um, you don't actually have to love everybody. Did you know that? You don't actually have to love everybody. Adam, you just said, I gotta love everybody. Yeah, but, but practically, you do not have to love everybody. Do you know why? That's impossible. It sounds great on a t-shirt. You can't actually do it because you don't know everybody. And even if you did, you couldn't love them all. You can't love 7 billion people. What are you going to give them? Two seconds of your life? And then you're dead. That's not, that's not doing anything. You don't actually have to love everybody. Here's you have to love the people you actually live around and the people in this room, which is somehow harder. Because here's the deal. Look around the room. Just look around. Look around. Check them out. Look around. Don't stare. That's weird. All right? Don't make it weird. Just like look at them, right? There's real people in the room. Here's the thing that God is calling us to do. He wants you to love the people sitting in this room. But Adam, they're not perfect and they have issues. Yes, they do. And so do you. Welcome to the club. Because I got issues. You got issues. We got issues. We ain't perfect, which means it's messy it's not always easy, 
But these are the people God is calling us to love. Not the whole generic world. These particular people. The folks in your family, your neighborhood, your workplaces. That's who God's calling us to love in real time with real acts of service. That's what we want to grow in. And when you and I surrender ourselves to spiritual maturity, to spiritual community, and spiritual charity, it transforms us and it transforms the world around us. But don't forget this. You got to be present to win. You can't do this from home or from the internet or just sporadically or every now and then. You want to experience it? You got to be in. You got to be in. And so what if we made a choice to say we want to surrender to the Lord and all he has for us? We would experience the very fullness of God himself. So do this one. Bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. We're going to close in a hymn in just a moment that is actually a prayer. It's a prayer for revival where we ask the Lord to change us, to, to, to bring revival to us. And I wonder if that's our true prayer today. I wonder if that's what we actually are after. And what if, what if God would answer that? So I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're, you've been here a while, you're just here for the very first time or somewhere in the middle. All I know is that God has put this offer onto the table to us right here, right now, this group of people as we are today. And he's saying, do you want to experience the fullness of who I am? And so Heavenly Father, that is what we want. But we confess today that we can't get there. There's no amount of staff or programs or sermons or, or things we can come up with to, to make that happen. But you can. And so, Father, just like we sang earlier, what we come with is, is an open heart. What we come is just a surrender of ourselves. To say, God, we don't want to stay where we are. We want to have the fullness of who you are living inside of us. God, I can't wait to see what that looks like. And so, Father, would you bless us? Would you help us? Would you change us, challenge us? And Lord, we'll give you the glory as we do it. So for all of us here, no matter where we are, Lord, we choose you in this moment. Lord, I can't wait. We love you. In your name we pray.